I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to this service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out upon me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. Holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hamenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. May God bless this reading to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Brilliant. Thanks, Roy, and thanks, Philip, as well, for for sharing that news. We'll, we'll obviously be very sad to say goodbye to you. We're not going to think about that yet, um, how many months we have left with you. Um, in some ways, we've always thought you were, you're off to Scotland, you're off to Netherlands. We're always kind of be prepared for it. But um, it will, when the day comes, we'll, we'll, we'll entrust you to the Lord and uh, it'll be good. Now, the letter to Timothy, the question it asks us is, what do you want from church? And the first thing Paul says in this letter is a bit serious, you might say. Uh, it is that churches are to seriously care about truth. That's what you want from a church. That might not be your first answer to the question. It might not be the thing your heart naturally goes to. It's not mine. But Paul says this has got to be what you want. A church that seriously cares about truth. And there are teachers out there who do not speak the truth. They change the gospel. And that's not just a shame, an unfortunate reality of life. It is a tragedy. And Paul writes this letter to Timothy. And the first thing he says is you've got to confront that teaching. And you can see it continues in our passage today, verse 18. Paul says this to Timothy. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you might fight the battle well. He calls this a battle for truth. And I fully expect that some of us will find that language instantly off-putting. Sounds arrogant, aggressive, intolerant. But here's the way Paul sees it, that God's truth has been given to the church. 
And so we've got to care about that truth. One of you ever had the experience of carrying a lot of money on your persons? Now, I know it doesn't really happen very often when you kind of walk down the high street with coins and, and cash. I, I had this very exciting time once where my dad asked me to accompany him. Now, he, um, he used to work for kind of a historic house. He used to manage it um, as it was being renovated. And so all the money that had come in from the tea shops and the gift shop and uh, was counted up, put in a safe. And then he said to me, look, I'm going to go to town tonight, today to, to, to cash it in. Come with me. So we got to the safe and you pull out this big bag of cash. And it was over, it was over a thousand pounds in coins and notes. You can imagine how heavy that is put it into a rucksack and off we went to the bank. And, and you know how you're trying not to be conspicuous as you walk down the road, but that kind of makes you conspicuous? That was our experience, you know, it's kind of walking down, nothing to see here, nothing to see here. But I was very excited. It felt like, you know, I felt like I was joining the mafia. Um, <laughs> and so we walked down the street and, and, and the thing was we had to protect it. You know, I don't think anyone genuinely thought of trying to rob us. Um, but if that happened, the whole point would be we, we should have fought for that that money. And that's the kind of thing that's going on here, that this is matters, this deposit that's been put in our backpacks. And Paul says you've got to fight for that. You've got to fight. And you can see that in verse 18, Paul reminds Timothy that earlier in his life he had had some prophecies that was also about fighting for truth. Now the idea of prophecy in the Bible often confuses us. Um, literally, it just means a spoken message. And sometimes you can get a message of prediction. So in this sense, it would be, Timothy, in the future, you're going to have to fight against truth. But more often than not, it's just a message of command. Timothy, your job is to fight for truth. And Paul brings it up and says, Timothy, you're going to have to do this. This has always been your path, your destiny to fight for truth. Fight the battle well. Verse 19, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Now what's challenging here is that Hymenaeus and Alexander are obviously teachers and people who Timothy would know. Probably they weren't in Ephesus, they were elsewhere where Paul was. But they would have been teachers who claimed to follow Jesus and Paul says, look, they're shipwrecks. Not because of their sins and failures. And that's really important because a lot of us feel that if we, if we sin just once more, if we fail like that, that's us done for. Now, the Bible doesn't see it like that way. The Bible doesn't think your sins and my sins need ever be the cause of our downfall because Jesus died for them. But no, they are shipwrecks, Hymenaeus and Alexander, not because of their sins, but because they didn't hold on to the faith. They didn't keep believing. And Paul says they are handed over to Satan. This is the stakes of this fight. Um, handing over to Satan doesn't mean that they've been punished or attacked. It can sound quite serious, can't it? It just means they've been expelled from the church. It means they've been publicly declared as not belonging to the light, but to the darkness. And can you imagine a, a church where that would happen? It's not hypothetical for Paul, for Timothy, and I expect it won't be a fight that's hypothetical for us. I said last week there is a huge debate going on uh, 
there have always been debates going on throughout all of church history, always fights over what, what, what we should do, what we should teach, what we should believe. There is one particular going on at the moment in the global church about what does it mean to be human? We call it the doctrine of humanity about what does it mean to be male and female and how does that relate to sex and marriage? And there are so many others as well, but that's an issue that we don't have a choice to ignore when it comes to seriously caring about truth. That's why in the next few weeks, actually, uh, we're gonna do a mini series on it, Who Am I? I'm looking at Genesis, looking elsewhere in the Bible to think about this, because it's like Timothy brings up this topic of we have gotta care about truth and well, here's a truth that we need to think about and it, we need to give time to it. So the next few weeks, we'll, we'll take a break from our Timothy series and look at that. But it's serious stuff, right? A serious fight, verse three, oppose false teaching, verse 18, fight the fight. But in the middle of what we've just talked about already, right in the middle of this chapter, Paul goes on a diversion. All this stuff about caring for the truth, fight for the truth, do it. And then he goes on a diversion. He starts talking about himself. Verse 12, look with me. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It's a real gear change in the chapter. And what's Paul going on about? What's the deal? Some of us know people that just like talking about themselves. Is that what's going on? Let's talk about you, Timothy, for a bit. Now, on to me and my story. It's not what Paul's doing there. Actually, it's very deliberate that right in the middle of this chapter, we get this diversion. So right from verse three to 11, we get this command of uh, stop people, uh, confront the false teaching. And then right at the end of this chapter, we get this command renewed. I'm giving you this command to fight the battle well. And then right in the middle, we get this, Paul talking about himself. What he's doing is he's reminding Timothy of grace. He first, he shared his own, shares his own story about being a blasphemer who was shown grace and mercy. And then in verse 15, he shares a saying that each and every Christian can say and claim for themselves as well. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why is Paul interrupting this big command? Fight for truth. Care for truth. Because he needs to remind us about grace. And here's the big point then for today. Churches that seriously care about truth must also seriously grasp grace. It's great to talk about truth. It's great to fight for truth, says Paul. But let's remind ourselves and grasp grace, first of all. Grace is a pretty Christian word. I'm aware of that. Um, but if you want to understand what it is, then look at this passage. As Paul reminds Timothy about grace. Let's start with Paul, talking about himself. And he starts at verse 12, he gives thanks, but to who? To Jesus, who has strengthened him, considered him trustworthy, appointed him to his service. Now, is Paul saying he, he, he is trustworthy, and that's why Paul appointed him to his service, uh, Jesus appointed him to his service. That doesn't make sense, given what he's about to go and say about himself, that he was a blasphemer and violent and aggressive. 
It's not very trustworthy behavior. No, Paul is saying here that Jesus has led him to be trustworthy now. And Jesus has done all this to Paul, though he was this blasphemer, a persecutor. And if you know the story of Paul, he is a man, a religious leader, who hated the first Christians. He went and hunted them down in different towns. He was there at the murder of at least one believer, Philip. No, Stephen. <laughs> Test, testing you out. <laughs> We think blasphemy is when you say a bad word. You know, you just let off a swear word. Paul considers blasphemy as when he was speaking against Jesus. Not with one bad word, but with all of his words. And Paul says it was because he acted in ignorance and unbelief. But that's not an excuse. You read that and you think, is Paul giving an excuse again? It's not an excuse. He's either making clear that he, it wasn't that he was beyond saving... But probably more likely than that is that he's saying God wanted to have, to have mercy on him so God could save an ignorant unbeliever like him. Either way, Paul's story is of Jesus' grace pouring on him. Along with faith and love. Well, that's what Paul can say. And he then shares what any Christian can say. Verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, there's quite a lot of debate about how long is the saying that deserves full acceptance. Is the saying, uh, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and then stop? And uh, then Paul goes and talks about himself and says, I'm the worst um, and, uh, and that's why I, why I receive mercy. Now, I would argue it's the whole thing. Verse 15 or through to verse 17 is the saying and I'll explain why in a minute. But actually, whether or not the saying stops in verse 15 or the saying stops in verse 17, what we read here can be said by any Christian. Because Paul is not trying to win some contest of I'm the worst. Look at you, you're not as bad as me. You know, that kind of look at me. The whole point of this passage is for Paul to say, look at Jesus. He's the one that saved us. Sight defeats the point if he's saying how big a sinner he is. And the reality is that some people would be saying, hey, wait a minute, Paul. We've read some of your letters, and in some of those letters you talk about that you lived a blameless life according to the law. That does not sound like you were the worst of sinners if you lived a blameless life. Paul's saying that, but to him, to him, to his own perspective, he is the worst of sinners. And that's something that each of us can say about ourselves. The fact that this verse, verse 17, ends in an amen actually suggests this is early Christian liturgy. Early Christian prayers that they would have prayed together. Where we say, Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of which we each say we're the worst. But God has had mercy on us. And now how can you get to that point then when you say, I'm the worst? Again, it's not a competition where you went to look around. It's that where you get to that point of saying, 
I'm not bothered about anyone else. I just know that I am the worst sinner. But Jesus had grace upon me. Let me tell you how I think I can say that. And you can think about how you can say that too. I, uh, I haven't done any of the obvious catastrophic sins that put you in prison. You might be glad to hear. Um, uh, but I know that I've grown up with many, many privileges. I have always had food on the table, as far as I can remember. Always had a bed to sleep in. Uh, my parents weren't rich by any means, but we got to go on holidays abroad. What other people throughout history can do that? I've grown up in a family where I was introduced to Jesus, going to church every week. My family is strange, actually. Some of you will know this, that nearly every other member of the family is a church leader in different ways. I've been surrounded by it. I've been given much, is what the Bible says. And how I know I can say this myself, and not as a judgment on anyone else, but just looking at myself, is I know how much I've received, and I know how much I've abused and ignored and been a disgrace with what God has given me. I look inside and I see how much I've wasted the much I've been given. And I've deliberately, often disobeyed God, walked away. And I know that God has been very patient with me. I don't need to know actually about what you've been through. That's enough for me to know that God has been so, so patient. And Paul's wanting to, to get Timothy reminding, or reminded of grace. That, that God's grace is for sinners like you and me. The worst of sinners. Now, the patience and mercy God has shown you and will show you is different to the patience and mercy he's shown me. But each of us are examples of God's grace and patience. <coughs> And the point is, we're not trying to make a competition of, let's work out, let's go around church and find out who's the worst. Um, and then we can rank us, and then that person in the church, can, they can have the claim to say, I'm the worst. It's, you get the point. It's not, that's not the point of this verse. The point is to say, we're sinners. And Jesus came and saved us. That's the very reason he came into the world, to save people like you and me. One of the things that surprises me about babies is how good they are at gripping and grasping things. You ever had that experience where you give them a chocolate bar or whatever toy and then and they just will not let go and uh, you try and prise their fingers off and you think you're going to snap the fingers because they've got that such a grip. Paul is saying, look, get that kind of grip on grace, that kind of grip on grace and what Jesus has done for you. Sinners who deserve nothing from God, who have been showered with love, mercy, forgiveness, strength, faith, love, all these things Paul brings up here. Grasp it, grasp it, grasp it. Now there's more to say about this. We'll come back to this at the end. But here's why it matters. Here's why a church must grasp grace, particularly if it's going to be a church that seriously cares about truth. I've got five reasons. The first four, I'm very confident, are in the passage. The fifth, I'm going to share with you. I'm less sure, but I'm going to share with you, and I'm praying. If it's wrong, it's not unhelpful as well. The first reason Paul talks about you need to be reminded about grace is that 
Grasping grace will guard us from pride. You're going to be a church that fights for truth. Great. But remember, we are no better than others. Paul is calling Timothy to confront blasphemers. To oppose real people who believe real things and say that's wrong. But what does he say of himself? He says well, he was a blasphemer too. We're no better than the others. Again, it's why Paul can't be saying he's the worst as a literal competition, because then we at least could say, well, we're not better than anyone else. We are better than them. They are worse than us. But the point is that grasping grace will guard us from pride. And there is a real danger that churches, particularly churches that love truth, where we huddle together as a, uh, as a righteous, holy group, and we complain about the other churches. I remember walking past a church once um, and it had uh, a sign outside and it said the Sunday services, Sunday, something like Sunday 10 o'clock, um, call this number if you'd like to come. Because it was a particular Baptist church. Um, and I, I don't know anything about that church, um, but I remember that feeling of all well, that being quite kind of exclusive. Um, and I went on Google Maps uh, to check, do they still have that sign? They don't, by the way, so please don't let me hear um, against whatever that church was. But you get the point, that some churches are going to have this feeling of, we're going to fight for truth. And there are many Christians out there, they don't believe the truth, we're going to be the ones that do. Guarding grace will guard us from pride. And that will impact how we speak with others. Fighting will not mean we angrily denounce the heretics the people we speak against. And I think we know this, that it's always easier to accept criticism or rebuke when the person giving you the rebuke is being humble about it, rather than standing over you in judgment. Actually, if we like the thought of being right and being better than others, grasping grace will stop us doing that. A second reason Paul shares this reminder of you've got to remember grace if you're going to care about truth is this grasping grace will guard us from error. And I want to point out here that nearly all false teaching you and I will hear will be a denial of grace in one way or the other. And what Paul has already said about the false teaching in Ephesus is a denial of grace. False teaching will either tell us that we need to do something to earn God's love, to earn God's grace even. We need, he needs to, you need to do something. And, and these teachers in Ephesus, these teachers that Paul's talking about, are people who love the law and they would have been saying, you need to be law abiders and if you're not a Jewish, you're not circumcised, you need to be circumcised. They're denying grace by teaching works, as Paul would say. Some teaching, some error is about that. But if false teaching doesn't lead you to works, it can lead us to license, where we just say, sin doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what you do, you can just go and live life. And again, Paul's opponents seem to be going there as well, in that they say, they teach the law, but they don't care about people living changed and godly lives, which is why in verse 9 to 10 of chapter 1, Paul says, look, the law was there to change us, not to let us live lives of license. You get the point. 
If you grasp grace, it will guard us from error. It will keep you on the straight and narrow path, away from works where you think you've got to try and earn God's love, away from license where you think God's love just is a free-for-all. Some of you will have seen the news recently, this last week, of, uh, of what hit the head- headlines in Kenya this week. Uh, it was a, a tragedy, really, of 103 Christians who had starved themselves to death. And uh, the two pastors involved uh, have been arrested. And what the pastors were saying was uh, to starve themselves to death so that they will meet Jesus. And there's an investigation going on about that now. It's really hit the headlines in Kenya, and uh, you can guess what impact it's had. Grasping grace will guard us from error. Guard us from pride. Guard us from error. Thirdly, grasping grace will give us hope for opponents. It is no accident that when he talks about Hymenaeus and Alexander, he describes them as blasphemers, because what does Paul's story teach us? Well, that a blasphemer can be saved. You and I need to know that even the opponents of the gospel that we might meet today, bishops, archbishops, they're not enemies They're not without hope. In fact, the reason these guys, Hymenaeus and Alexander, were chucked out of the church, verse 20, is so that they would learn not to blaspheme, so they'd be given a chance. Grasping grace will give us hope for those opponents. Now, I've seen churches take stands on things. I've seen churches leave the Church of England in the last few years, and I've seen Christians leave churches over the years, often for very good reasons. But I've often seen people in churches who have done this with uh, bitter, aggressive letters, snide comments on Facebook, uh, war cries denouncing the enemies of the gospel, and where it leaves me is just a sour taste in my mouth. Take a stand for truth. Care for truth. But we want to be people who fight remembering grace. That those that we oppose are not our enemies. And they may be opponents of the gospel, but they're not without hope. Paul wasn't. No one is. A fourth reason why we've just got to grasp grace as a church is that grasping grace will strengthen us for the battle. What is the first thing Paul Paul gives thanks to Jesus for? Verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me. That's no accident that Paul mentions that. If we know Jesus' grace to us, we will not be scared of what lies ahead. Because we know that Jesus will strengthen us for the task. Let's paint a scenario. In the years to come, Uh, Central Church gets a reputation for being a strict and really intolerant church. I mean, already, a church plant like ours, a new church, raises questions, doesn't it? Why why are they starting as a new church? None of the other churches good enough? Let's say in the years to come, we get a reputation for, for saying what is inappropriate for people to say. 
about sex and marriage or about other religions or, or anything else. And let's say we get refused building because of what we believe. Maybe some members of our church will even leave because of the truth that we hold to. If we know grace and grasp grace, we'll have the strength to keep going. And we need to grasp grace so that we keep knowing and believing and having confidence that whatever goes on ahead, Jesus will strengthen us for the task. He's not just saved us. Grace is more than that. Grace, you can see to Paul, is far more than just him being forgiven his sins. It's being given strength. It's being given faith, being given love. And Paul's saying, look, grasping grace will strengthen us for the battle ahead. Let me give you the fifth reason I think Paul is talking about grace right here, right now in the letter. And again, I'm not as confident that this is Paul had this directly in mind, but grasping grace will keep us focused on the main thing. Actually, the main thing today is not arguments, not debates going on in churches and around the world. It's not about even about us getting clear on our doctrine and saying, this is what the truth is. But the main thing is that sin is being saved. And a bit later in the letter, Paul talks about God wanting all people to be saved. That's the hunch I have of why Paul's got this in mind here. If you grasp grace, you will not let anything distract you from the main thing, which is of sinners being saved. And that's all of our story if you're a Christian here. And if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, that is the, the, the strong, I guess, message that we, we say is that we need saving. But it is the best thing ever. That Jesus has come to save us. And it is the big thing. Nothing else can ever distract us from that. That's what grasping grace will do for us. That whatever we have to face as a church, whether it's mundane things like the admin that we have to do, or whether it's battles over truth, nothing will distract us from this main thing. Grasping grace is essential for us. I hope we see that. I hope we see that's exactly why Paul wanted to talk about this now. Because churches that seriously care about truth must also seriously grasp grace. And I think what Paul is saying here is not just saying it's important. You know, it's really important that you and I get grace. He is trying to wow us with grace. Remind us, remember, if you've forgotten, just how good Jesus has been to you. And you can say that whether you've been a Christian for every single moment that you can ever remember. Or you can say that if you have lived the most prodigal life and yet have come back to the fold. That, that everything we have has come from God's grace. Sinners who each in our own way have utterly tested God's patience, utterly deserve to be chucked out the door, to face hell even. And God himself has been so good to us, to come to us, not just to forgive us our sins or give us a second chance or give us a blank piece of paper, but to shower love and faith and strength, grace on us. 
And who are we talking about who does this to us? Verse 17, there's no, there's no accident again that Paul describes God in these majestic terms, the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, to him be honour and glory forever. That is one of the most power-inducing descriptions of God that you can imagine. He's immortal, he's invisible, the only God. He's eternal. And it's that God who has shown us grace. So what do you want from a church? I'm sorry the translator's gone down, the, the network's gone down. What do you want from a church? A church where there are no egos, no competition or rivalry, either to be the best or to be the worst. Just a group of people who know one thing above all, that we are rock-bottom sinners, but that Jesus came to save us. We're not going to be proud, and we are going to guard the church from losing this truth. And again, we'll talk about that in the weeks to come, some of the big issues of our day when it comes to that. But we're not going to get lost from into pride or into error we pray. And we're not going to lose hope for those that we are opposing. Because we've grasped grace. We've seen how God, good God is to us. And we want nothing more than to be a church that's saturated in that. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. I'd love us just to take a few minutes just to pause, be silent. And perhaps as you start, just think about if you can say this about yourself. I am a sinner. And to me, I'm the worst of sinners. Have a pause and think. <laughs>